Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to episode 354 with my guest, Kalechi Ubozo. Uh, my name is Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. It's a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. Uh, the show is uh, part listener confession and uh, part interview with, uh, with a guest, Um this show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room uh, that's really fucked up. <laughs> the website for this show is uh, mentalpod.com, and mentalpod is also the uh, uh, Twitter and Instagram handle that you can uh, you can follow me at. Um, the surveys, uh, you know, slash listener confessions that are filled out anonymously by listeners, um, the ones that I'm going to read after the interview with uh, Kalechi are pretty dark emotionally, mentally, and sexually. Um, I figured, you know, if somebody's going to uh, tune in to uh, tune in, what am I, 500 years old? If somebody's going to listen uh, to an episode on this topic, um, then maybe this would be a, a, a good episode to read some of the darker um, surveys because a lot of times I I hold back stuff because I don't want people to get... Um, I don't want the show to be just an onslaught of, uh, you know, horror and, uh, you know, <laughs> sadness and depravity, but it's... Uh, some of that stuff is really fascinating and can be really um, illuminating or at the very least compelling. Um, this, I'm going to kick it off with, and I'm going to do a couple of uh, surveys and an email before we get to the uh, to the interview. Uh, this is an awfulsome moment uh, filled out by Look 
Looky Lou, and he writes, uh, I wasn't very good in school, Brett barely graduated high school. My brother did pretty well, but was pushed to go to college by my parents. My mother insisted he go to a local four-year traditional college in our town. It was really hard for him to get into, but he got it. At one point in all of the arguments uh, my mom and brother had about him even going there, my brother suggested that he just go to the community college for a year and see how he likes it. My mom flipped out and yelled, because community college is for fucking dummies and you need to go to a four-year school or everyone will think you're a fucking dummy. Fast forward two years, my brother is gone at school and I've just graduated from high school by the skin of my teeth. I was never pushed to go to college like my brother did, nor once did my mom ask me what four-year school I wanted to attend. Instead, she came home on her lunch break one day at the end of summer and said, okay, come on, let's drive up to the community college and see what that's all about. Oh my God. You cannot make this shit up. Thank you for filling that out. Uh, This is an email that I just... uh, literally got about two hours ago um, from a listener uh, named Maggie, and I thought it was so fitting to read this given the episode uh, that we are um, doing today. And she wrote, uh, Paul, I'm writing to you because I don't have anyone to talk to. I mean, yes, I have people to talk to, but it's too exhausting. A few months ago, I tried to explain to my frustrated husband what depression is, quote, like. It's all so self-centered, I started to hate myself even more. First of all, it's not self-centered, trying to describe your pain. Um, But that's the one of the lies our brains tell us. Um, Numb is better than living sometimes, I said, and added, or sleep. Sleep is good too. Uh, But why is living hard, he replied. What about life is overwhelming? All I could say is that this didn't help and nothing helps and I can't worry about whether or not he understands me because it makes me feel even more isolated than I already do, if that's at all possible. I don't even know what the point of telling you this is. I don't know how to explain to him or anyone how I can simultaneously hate myself and laugh at a joke, how I can feel like sleeping for 24 hours straight but still go to work. How food disgusts me, but I can't stop eating. How crying doesn't mean I'm sad, but only that I'm feeling something at the moment as opposed to nothing. I guess that's it. How pathetic, Maggie. Well, the first thing I want to say is uh, that's not pathetic at all. That's incredibly human. And you, you, for those of us that do battle depression, you just perfectly summed it up. You perfectly summed it up. And and we can see the stigma, you know, in you calling yourself pathetic. We can see how the stigma in our society has leaked into how we feel about uh, ourselves. And um, you're so not alone, Maggie. You're so not alone. And to me, one of the most exhausting things about battling depression is trying to find the words to explain what depression feels like or even working up the courage to open up to somebody, you know. It, my pillow is my only friend when I am uh, depressed and or anxious. And yeah, um, so some thoughts for your husband if he does want to know more about it. Um, uh, NAMI.org 
uh, was a, uh, that's the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and um, it's NAMI.org, and they have meetings not only for people who suffer, but for loved ones of people who suffer um, any type of, of mental illness. So go to their website and check it out. And also uh, maybe try going um, to Amazon and doing a search on uh, loved ones with depression. I know there's a ton of books out there about it. And, um, you know, it'd be a good opportunity for him to um, show you that he cares. And hopefully uh, he will because, um, you know, we're, we deserve people in our life that, that understand uh, or want to try to understand what we're going through. Uh, this is a shame and secret survey that was filled out by a listener who calls herself Chubby Mom Bod, and she is straight in her 30s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. And I wanted to read this because um, I felt like it was just the perfect survey to read um, after your email to me. And uh, as I said, she's straight in her 30s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, uh, ever been the victim of sexual abuse. Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Uh, uh, not that I know of. When I was about five, I used to have terrifying nightmares about a strange boy touching me in my yard, but I've never remembered anything fishy or definitive. I was assaulted when I was 21 when a guy I knew from high school forced me to perform oral sex on him and then he and his friends made fun of me and put my underwear and bra on another of their friends who was passed out drunk. I'd always been super anxious and nervous, but after that I would get panicky even just getting gas at the Exxon. I couldn't leave my apartment for months and I tried to kill myself. I then was committed for a week where I was surrounded by legit crazy people, talking to people who weren't there, people with severe drug and alcohol issues, people so sedated they never got out of bed. That kind of put it in perspective for me. I still battle depression and anxiety and still attempted suicide a few times, but I've mellowed out as I've gotten older, found my partner, and had my children, and taking Zoloft. Have uh, you ever been physically or emotionally abused? My parents were very conditional with their love. And I think that is actually one of the worst forms of abuse because it's, it's, it's like gaslighting, you know? You, you do something good, you come in, and uh, then you do something bad, and, and you get you know, pushed away figuratively. And it's such a mind fuck. Um, and uh, I always had to get the best grades, be the best at sports, be popular, be perfect. I failed at all of these. My weight was a big issue for them. My mom would always tell me how gross I was and that no one would love me. Any positive experiences with the abusers? Of course, I love my parents. I feel like now that I'm an adult and a parent, I understand that my parents were complicated people with their own mental health issues. I was angry and removed, especially from my mom, for a long time. And my dad, whom I was very close to, uh, passed away in 2011. My mom accused me of ruining her marriage because my father confided in me and trusted me and not her. I didn't talk to her. That is so fucked up. I didn't talk to her really until I got pregnant with my first child. We are cool now, but I feel conflicted about both my parents. I love them, and I think they had positive attributes and influences on me, but I recognize that they were both pretty fucked up. Darkest thoughts. I sometimes imagine murdering my children. I never ever would, but I think I have this fucked up thing where depression comforts me, and because having something happen to my kids 
would be the most awful thing I can imagine. I sometimes let myself go down this fucked up imaginary emotional wormhole, then I hate myself for it. It's funny, I was just sharing with somebody yesterday that uh, how oddly comforting it is sometimes to um, imagine uh, suicide because it's like, okay, you know, if the building's on fire, I know, uh, you know, there's an exit, not not the ideal exit, but um, so I think it's it's um, more common than, than most of us think. Darkest secrets. I stole money from a job I had about 16 years ago, all told probably about 300 dollars over the course of six months. I still feel horrifically guilty about it. You know what's interesting is it, it you are such a perfectionist. Most people wouldn't even remember that they had stolen three hundred dollars. Um you're so hard on yourself. You are so hard on yourself. Um but you know that's what we do when we're raised with conditional love. You know? Perfectionism comes in and spreads its ugliness. Um, anyway, that's that's what I wanted to read um, from this one. Um, she's embarrassed about writing this stuff out. Uh, don't be. Don't be. You're in the boat with a lot of us. Um, thank you for sharing that. Um and speaking of getting help, I want to tell you about our sponsor, BetterHelp.com. Uh, I love them. I've been using them for uh, over a year. Uh, I love my therapist, Donna. She's awesome. I talk to her every uh, Monday by video, and she really, really helps me. Um, we've been working a lot on questioning my negative self-beliefs, things that I, like when I'm in a bad place, I really believe they're true. And uh, and then, like, my mood is set for the day with believing that I'm a terrible person who is, uh, you know, eventually going to die friendless and penniless and uh, might as well kill myself. <laughs> and uh, it's so nice to have a an objective perspective that can uh, lead you logically uh, to show you that that's not the case. And uh, I highly recommend them. Go to uh, betterhelp.com slash mental. Uh, fill out a questionnaire and they'll match you up with a betterhelp.com counselor and you can experience a free week of counseling to see if online counseling is right for you. Uh, you got to be over 18 and you can communicate um, throughout the week with your counselor. Each counselor is a little different, um, but the available ways to connect are uh, email, uh, live text, uh, chat, phone, or video. But again, it depends on the um, the, the counselor. Uh, I want to tell you guys about HelloFresh. HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers your favorite step-by-step -step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. With HelloFresh, all the ingredients are delivered right to your door in recyclable, insulated packaging and come pre-measured in a handy labeled meal kit so you know which ingredients go with which recipe. And HelloFresh offers a wide variety of chef-curated recipes that change weekly, including in the classic plan, which comes with a wide variety of meat, fish, and seasonal produce, the veggie plan, vegetarian recipes with plant-based proteins, 
and the family plan. Quick and easy meals the whole family will love. Better yet, you can choose a delivery day that works best for your busy schedule and even pause your account for weeks at a time. And I am familiar uh, with meal kit delivery services, and I was uh, uh, very happy with uh, um, HelloFresh when I uh, tried them. In particular, I love their Hall of Fame dishes. Um, it's really cool that they keep a list of listener-voted uh, listener voted, uh, subscriber voted, uh, Hall of Fame dishes. And I did the, uh, Melty Monterey Jack Burger, uh, with zucchini fries and it was delicious. Uh, cooking it was, uh, simple and I didn't have to go to the grocery store, which was convenient. So, uh, you guys should definitely check it out. Uh, for 30 bucks off your first week of HelloFresh, visit HelloFresh.com. And enter the promo code MENTAL30. Okay. This is an awfulsome moment. And then I promise you we're getting right to the interview with uh, Kaleche. Um, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing her name. Uh, this is an awfulsome moment filled out by Jory. And he writes, One morning I went to visit my mom at work in order to get my sunglasses that I had left in her car a few days before. When I walked in, I ran into her boss, who I had not seen since I got married in January. He asked me, how's uh, married life treating you? I told him it was good, going great, and way better than single life. He replied, you look like you're packing on some weight there. Means she's probably a good cook. I know he was just making a joke, and I kept telling myself not to take it personally. How was he supposed to know I'm bulimic? Plus, I'm I do the so cooking scared of in our being family, alive. motherfucker. I'm so scared of dying. I was so, so lonely, but I couldn't bear being around people, and it hurt. I've just been, like, very interested in dicks. I don't know how to let loose and just be. All my alters have different handwriting and different... Extremely anxious. Affects. I am most turned on when I am in fear. My first thought was I'm about to die. Stomach-clutching despair. Ocean of sadness. I came out over the phone to them. I put myself on the Akinzai in fourth grade. They told me I was wrong. The secrecy is what kills us. And I just sat there and cried on his shoulder. And it was the first time I ever felt safe, like a weight lifted off of me. In order to get rid of your anger, you have to learn how to cry. I started liking myself for the first time. I'm afraid that people are only nice to me because they're afraid I'll kill myself if they're not. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> that is fantastic. <laughs> I'm here with uh, Kalechi Ubozo, who I met through a mental health event up in Sacramento mm-hmm. a couple of months ago, mm-hmm. um, Mental Health Matters Day, and you were there as part of a movie, uh, The S Word, yes. which is being screened, and it's a movie about uh, uh, suicide and survivors of suicide, mm-hmm. um, in other words, the loved ones, uh, and I was so moved just by the trailer of this movie i had tears streaming down my face and i hear this you know this stuff all the time this subject matter um but it looks like such an incredible uh movie and you were one of the people in the movie and you are a uh um attempt survivor yes i am a suicide attempt survivor and somebody looking at you would never have any idea because you radiate positivity and happiness and um, peace 
And uh, is that, was it all a mask? Is it all a mask? You know, it's not a mask now, but it was before. I used to pretend to be happy all the time and radiate all of those things, but I was stuffing down a whole bunch of dark crap. Um, And now I'm just 100% me because, I mean, that's the only way I can actually live. And when I mean live, I literally mean, like, be alive. So it's all real. It seems like there are few things that contribute to suicidal thoughts as much as um, feeling like you can't live uh, your authentic self. Mm. Um, it's such a dungeon to to be in, and so many people feel like, oh, you know, my family members, if you know, I said I liked this thing or I did this, and they just, um, where where would be a good place to to start with your uh, your story? Your um, are you first generation African American? Um, I am. Um, well, my dad is from Nigeria. My mom's from Brooklyn. So there, uh-huh. there was a little cultural okay. challenges there. Yeah. Um, how, how old was your dad when he emigrated? Um, he was 18. So he was pretty young, but okay. he still had a lot of the culture with him yeah. and met my mom and she was pretty, pretty liberal and righteous and kind of, you know, badass human and and he he appreciated that at first and then later when mm-hmm. she was like yeah i'm gonna be a doctor he's like nah, i kind of want you to be kind of sitting at home you know cleaning dishes and, and, such. Is, and is that typical of uh, nigerian culture you know it depends on where you're from i was but just gonna say is your dad more city or country he's he's from like some of the, the more country area emo yeah. state but it's it's actually one of those things where like like polygamy is a thing you have several wives these are things i learned later in life when i went to nigeria and i was like why do we have so many cousins (laughs) and i was like oh my dad was like oh yeah you know we're the second wife family i was like what and i was really into big love so that was disturbing that was that was a a great (laughs) great series i'm just gonna have you move back just a tiny bit oh yeah sure yeah how's that perfect that's perfect um so where to begin? Where's a good place to uh You know, I think begin? I think beginning would be really like kind of when the mental health issues started kind okay. of coming up. Um I had always it was like around when I was 13. So my parents got divorced. My mom moves me down to Georgia. We were originally in New York, mm-hmm. and Georgia itself was a huge culture shock for me. Um I was not used to being in the segregated south. Uh you were either in an all black neighborhood or all white neighborhood and because the schools were segregated, my mom would like bus me like two buses to get to like the white school so I could get a good education. So it was already a really strange. What part of Atlanta difference. were you living in? I was what living part? in Stone Mountain, Georgia. Okay. And yeah. then you were bused to? I was bused to Dunwoody. Okay. Um, and prior to, you know, going to public school, I was at private school for a little bit and I just got into a lot of trouble. I, I don't know. I just was like kind of. A bad, I I wouldn't say a bad kid, but I really wanted attention. My mom was a single parent, full-time doctor. Mm -hmm. It was hard to get her attention. She was trying to like, you know, raise a kid. Specialty? She's primary care doctor. So, but then, you know, she'd be on call. So she'd have to go to the ER in the middle of the night, all that stuff. Just really trying to raise a kid by yourself is challenging, much less one who's, you know, then started dealing with depression, started having some dark thoughts. Yeah. Um, 
what what's your uh, mom's bedside manner like you know it has gotten better through the years um she's definitely a keeping it real.com kind of person mm -hmm. but she's also really empathetic and really cares about folks yeah. so i mean but we did not have a really great relationship when i was um younger and my grandmother actually came down to live with us to kind of help raise me mm. and that was awesome grandma could do no wrong she was like old school new yorker you didn't want to mess with her but you know she'd always sneak you a cookie or something with butter like yeah. she'd always find butter or something i don't know uh she was an incredible individual and when she passed that's when like like the dark thoughts that had been festering really exploded did you feel like, and don't let me put words in your mouth, but did yeah. you feel like um, the bulk of the softness in your life was gone when your grandmother passed, the gentleness that you got from her? You know, I, I mean, that isn't putting words in my mouth. That's kind of like how actually having another mother, but a mother who literally was not going to be mad at you ever. So it was kind of not like a realistic mom. It's kind of like the perfect mom who is like everything you do is wonderful <laughs> the perfect mom to a child <laughs> yes to a child not <laughs> not to someone who needed boundaries but right. yeah when she passed i just i didn't want to be around anymore i just was i kind of was like why am i still here um and i first attempted uh around when i was 15 and so that was the beginning of a lot of mental health challenges but what i really learned from attempting was i was really honest i was like yeah i don't want to live anymore and no one reacted well i mean i don't know why i thought anyone would be like oh yeah let's have a conversation about this you know i ended up going to a psych ward and that was the most terrifying thing ever before we get to that yeah. who had you shared i don't want to live anymore with you know, before I, I shared it with my friends. So, mm. I mean, you're a teenager. You're not like, I'm not like telling my mom about this, but I'm telling my friends. And, you know, some of them were like, oh, you're never going to do that. Or you're, you're just, it's a cry for help. And then I had one friend who was actually pretty concerned. So she ended up telling a teacher who ended up calling my mom. And then my mom was, you know, informed and then she was like all right well this is this how you really feel and i was like yeah she's like well we gotta go to the hospital and yeah was there a feeling of um comfort from your mom when she found out that you were um hurting so badly i think she was just shocked um, because I pretended really well. Like I should have done something constructive with all of my energy, like done acting instead of <laughs> done acting in life. Mm -hmm. But I really could pretend to be anything and people would believe me. And then I'd get mad because they believed me. So when I told the truth, which was rare to have someone like my friend contact my teacher and tell my mom, I was like, oh, wow, someone's actually paying attention. And the truth was I did actually want someone to you know know and care um but i had actually planned on attempting so i wasn't expecting it to be interrupted or anyone to believe me what what do you think how how would you ideally have wanted your mother to react you know it, it's hard to say because i was a teen and or a mother a mother or a father to react you know, I think she reacted like many parents would fear. It's like, I'm afraid I'm going to put you somewhere where you can't harm yourself and then they're going to fix it 
and then we can like work on things. And she was like, I can be home more. I can give you more attention. What can I do? So that was helpful. But what wasn't helpful was, you know, going to the hospital, which there's not actually a lot of, unfortunately, there's not a lot of options when you're in that kind of state. Um, and so that's kind of like the only option she had, but it was not a good option because it, I learned a lot of bad things at the hospital. I've, I, I have heard the, yeah. the, we have a survey about people, um, that people take uh, to share their hospitalization yeah. experiences and the breadth of experiences uh. is staggering. Um, and the biggest cause in that seems to be the attitude of the staff. Yeah. Uh, that seems to hugely, um, it seems that the staff that sees people as individuals and has a degree of empathy with them makes a major difference. And the ones that totally. act like, you know, it's a factory, uh, mm -hmm. just exacerbates the, um, pain of the, yeah. of the uh, patient. Um, I, sorry, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, stuck on this stuff with your mom, but no, I'm, okay. I'm always kind of interested in the dynamics that, that lead somebody to get to that place where they feel so um, cut off. Uh, and this is not to blame any parents, yeah. uh, because I think most parents did the best they could with the tools they had. Yeah. Um, it, it's, I get emails from parents who will say, thank you for such and such episode, mm -hmm. when somebody mentioned, you know, doing, changing how they relate to their child and they're now doing this. It had never occurred to me. And now I'm doing that with my child and our relationship is blossoming. Yeah. And so I want to, um, kind of break down what leads to that person feeling so hopeless and isolated. Not that it's necessarily the parents, but yeah. as you know, oftentimes that is a factor. Um, it, not necessarily that they're abusive or overly mm -hmm. neglectful, but there's just maybe not a comfort in discussing uncomfortable emotions yeah. or, um, um, I'm mean, like when you shared with me, us, um, I don't want to live anymore. I'm trying to imagine myself as a parent, and I mm -hmm. think the first thing I would do is obviously fear would shoot through my body yeah. but then the next thing i would do is i would want to comfort i would want to mm -hmm. hold my child and and you know mm -hmm. just talk to them gently and and um um i i, I don't know when it, it i just get the feeling that um your your mother knowing didn't necessarily bring you uh, comfort or kind of ease your feeling of hopelessness or being alone. Um, whereas your grandmother, from what you've described, it sounds like she would have taken you in her arms. And what do you think your grandmother would have said if she had? You know, I don't know what she would have said because it was almost because she was gone that the hopelessness really right. emerged. But had she been in that situation... I think it would have been less about the fear and more about the comfort. And I have been on the other side of having someone tell me they don't want to be around anymore. And the first thing I was 
thinking was like, oh my gosh, what do I need to do? I need to stop this. And I'm like, wait, hang on. That's not what I wanted. I wanted someone to slow down and listen to me and have a conversation instead of reacting or, you know, doing what, you know, is prescribed. And like, you know, when your parent is a doctor, there is like literally a protocol for (laughs) how to deal with certain things. There's not really a mental health protocol. And what my mom does now versus what she did when I was 15 is very different. She's learned a lot. Talk about that. Um, So I think I was like in the past year. um, So part of my story is that, you know, I attempted as a young person and and after actually attempting, I I pretended everything was fine because the the actual hospitalization was so traumatic. I was like, let me just pretend everything is okay. So I never have to go back there. And I really just faked my way through things until later when I was in college, or actually right after college, um, I ended up being raped. And after that, I had another attempt. Um, so fast forwarding that to now where I am now. So um, I'm 32 years old now. And the individual who attacked me all those years ago got in contact with me last year. Um, he was able to find me. Um, I had blocked all these things on social media and he was able to find me and that that fear came back and I didn't want to be around anymore. Mm. But this time I talked to my mom and I was like, mom, I'm really scared. I think I'm going to harm myself. And she was like, okay, let's talk about it. What do you need? What can I do? It was very not like, stop, you have to do this. It was very just like, well, will you tell me if you need anything? Can I come out here? And she flew out like the next weekend. I mean, she she slowed things down and she said, well, what what are what's going on in your head? And I said, well, the things in my the voices in my head or whatever is going on in there is saying he's going to find you and he's going to harm you. So you should just take yourself out. And she's like, well, is that true? Is this really going to happen? Like, I don't agree with those voices. She really just had a conversation with me and what was going on in my brain and slowed down as opposed to, you know, I don't know, calling 911 and having me 5150. Because when I when someone like me who presents really well gets 5150, we get out of hospital real fast because, you know, I'm not like screaming my head off. I'm smiling and cheerful. And people are generally like, oh, you're fine. And then I'm off to do whatever I planned on doing in the first place. So it's really dangerous when someone who presents well is not treated well in a hospital, if that makes sense. It, it does. Um, yeah. Talk to the person who doesn't understand the person who would say, I don't want to be around anymore, and then would be resistant to... Um, the form that that help comes in so i'll put it this way um i say something like i don't want to be around anymore i don't want to be alive and then 911 is called i'm either thrown into a cop car which as a black person is super not fun um and and a lot of be- a lot of people of color actually get killed especially who have mental health issues so that in itself is dangerous or i get to the hospital and i'm thrown into a psych ward first thing they do is you know if you've attempted they'll you know put you through the medical place and then et cetera, et cetera. but at the end of the day you end up in a place where people are either kind of drugged or half out of it and no one's really it's like a like a life-size pause button no one's processing or talking to you about why you did what there's a lot of like 
really intense medication that kind of makes you like feel like a zombie or at least made me feel like a zombie. So I was like halfway in between life and death. And I got to tell you, and I talk about this in the film at one of the psych wards I went to and you can't even make the shit up. They were literally playing Silence of the Lambs in the fucking psych ward and i actually asked the nurses i was like is this an appropriate movie choice for us to be watching right now and i'm this is the kind of help i'm getting so the what i learned was oh i just won't tell the truth i'll just lie and i'll just never tell anyone what i'm feeling because i'll end up in this place which sometimes make me actually makes me feel worse yeah so yeah so you are looking for a way to connect to people without having to experience this thing again and and I'm wondering from the perspective of your mother or your friends mm-hmm. or whoever how do we how do we fill that need without was it county that you went to or did you have insurance or what at the point I where I was at a, this hospital is in New York so I've gone to I've gone I've gone around the world a little bit mm-hmm. um I, I had a I was I got county mental health so okay. yeah. wasn't the best I didn't have like yeah. you know the private insurance set up yeah. um, but sorry back were to you your in question Be- were you weren't in Bellevue were you no I wasn't oh, in so I was going to ask if you saw my dad <laughs> is that where he <laughs> my dad yeah and, and I, he he passed away a while ago but um yeah in ninety two wow uh, that's where that's where he went and then the wow, the uh, head shrink would only release him. If um, we were in Chicago and yeah. he was there on business, and so they said, uh, "Well, we will only release you from uh, Bellevue if you go immediately onto a plane. Your family picks you up from the airport, and you go directly into rehab." And so we checked him into rehab on Christmas Eve. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and we didn't talk about it at all. No, just nope. after we dropped him off, you're like, was, "Bye, just yep, okay." Yep, like it yep. didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Oh man. But sorry for that to, no. for that detraction. So no. how do we, how do we as people who care yeah. about people who are in pain, how do we how do we react? What do we what do we do? You know, it it, it sounds like we need to separate the logistical from the emotional. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of people immediately think I don't want to be the person yeah. that could have done something yeah. and didn't. So maybe I'm going to take the, what the safest precaution is. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, perhaps you forget to wrap your arms around that person if mm-hmm. you're comfortable with a hug yeah. and, and, and just listen. Yeah. And just listen. It is so... So I have to say, I have to use I statements because every person is really different in what they need. But what I needed was someone not to get so fearful and think about themselves. I know that sounds weird, but like the first time someone might say something like, I'm, I think I'm going to kill myself. The first thing I think personally isn't like, how can I help this person? I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm responsible for their life. They None have of my told, watch. <laughs> right? They're like, this is the secret. They have told me I have got to get them into a hospital and I've got to like make sure that they're alive. So that is an I don't know I feel like that's a normal reaction because you don't want that yes. person to be gone but what on the flip side what's actually helpful for me is if someone has a conversation and says what's going you know what's going on mm-hmm. and a lot of times 
because the shame of like silent the silence around suicide is so much that if someone reacts and then throws you away then you won't you might not be able to talk to them again if someone actually trusts you enough to tell you that they're thinking about harming themselves it's a it's a gift and i know it's a dark gift but it's <laughs> it's it's a gift because they're saying like i'm going to tell you something that could really put i'm really vulnerable right now um and what i what was helpful for me is when my friends would say like well what's going on and what are you thinking about and not making it about like we got to take you somewhere and what needs to happen i mean i had friends do a variety of things i had friends say oh well, when's the last time you ate oh you haven't eaten let's get you groceries i mean it really it's almost like when someone's sick in a hospital with like i don't know like a physical injury everyone knows what to do they like show up they bring coloring books they have food they do all the things around being connected and to me what was helpful is being connected to people so when people said when i said i'm i'm feeling alone and i feel like i'm dying you know what didn't work was someone saying hey you know don't do this because you know you'll make me sad or you know or guilting cuz that wasn't that wasn't really helpful. But what I will say is that I didn't, it wasn't always that I wanted to die. It was that I wanted the pain to stop. So if yeah. we could talk about the pain I was in and why it was so bad, then maybe we could mm-hmm. move towards a conversation about healing. Yeah. But if that is cut off by like, all right, you're in a hospital, the mm-hmm. end, you know, that can definitely break trust. Now, I'm not saying that like, you know, in some cases that's, folks only option so that's why i'm using i statements because yes. i'm not gonna go over here and say all right everyone stop calling 911 um you know that would be irresponsible but i can say what worked for me one of the things that uh therapists ask because I've, i have been in therapy before mm-hmm. and said um i don't want to be alive but i didn't say i want to die i i just don't want to be here yeah uh, and they would ask uh have you made a plan? Have you made a plan? And yeah. so I think, would that have, for you, have been a good question for, for somebody to ask at some point? Maybe not the first question. I think like maybe three questions down because then that person can kind of get an idea of like, do you have a plan? Okay, you do. And I've done this with friends that I've had in a, in a situation like I've had. And I've said, all right, what's going on? What can I talk? You know, what can we do? And then I'm like, well, do you have a plan? And they might say yes. They might say no. I'm like, do you, then the second, the next question is like, well, do you have the means? And you know, that would make it. And then I'll say like, if, you know, if you are actually thinking about this, would you, would you call me before you do something? And I'm like, I know, you might not want to, but would you feel comfortable doing that? And a lot of times I'll have a friend say, yeah, I'll call you. And someone will ask me that and I'll say, okay. Mm-hmm. And it's less about, sh- I don't know, there's something like less shaming about it. And then I've told you and now I kind of feel accountable a little bit. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm not alone. And I think the big thing about suicide is isolation. So yes. the more someone feels isolated, or at least for me, I was like, oh, well, I'm going to just do whatever I want because I'm not telling anyone what's going on at all. And then I'm going to pretend to be happy. And then they'd all believe me. Uh, Kevin Briggs, as you know, uh, yeah. a great, oh my gosh. great advocate. So incredible. Uh, his episode was uh, one of the favorites of, of the year that, that he was on. It was num- the number one uh, episode. And, he, and people that haven't heard that episode, he was a uh, highway patrolman who um, uh, patrolled the Golden Gate Bridge mm-hmm. and talked to a lot of people. Uh, over 200 people. Over 200 people. Yeah. And he saved many lives just by yeah. listening to them. And... Uh, one of the things that he said is every single person or nearly every single person 
felt like they were a burden yeah. to their friends and loved ones. Yeah. So to me, that would that would be how do we how do we rectify that? And I would think a friend letting that person know that I am here yeah. for you, whatever mm-hmm. I can do to help. Um, just don't ask me to help you move. <laughs> uh, Moving sucks. Yeah, that's a deal breaker. <laughs> yep. All of our deal breakers. Um, I'm, I, what, do, what do you think? What are, what are some thoughts you have about the way that people can react or the way that the person who is in pain can express what it is that they want to say in a, in a way that is more um, detailed? For the for the person they're talking to, so that they can be of more use. I know it's hard when you're in pain yeah. and, and you're. Um, it's hard to know actually what you want when you're in pain. It really is, and sometimes, like sometimes, folks will say like, "What do you need?" And you're like, "I have no idea." Um, not other, not this. Not this though. This isn't working. But other people will actually make suggestions. Oh, do you want to go on a walk or? I can pick you up or I had friends who if I was isolating really badly, they would just kind of show up and Mm. (laughs) visit me. Um, And, you know, because sometimes it's hard to actually know what you want because you're you're just like, I, I got up today and that was that was my success of the day. And I am still alive. Those are the two things I've done today. That's where I'm freaking at. I've had those. Yeah. And you know what? You get some laundry in and it's Ooh, like right? you just climb Mount Everest. Right? You do. Yeah. You're like, oh, I, no, mine is always like, I'm going to make my bed. And if I can make my bed, oh, yeah. I'm like, all right. But that yeah. might be it. That yeah. is all that I've done. But then you have to let go of the blanket for at least a second yeah. before you can get back in it. Right. You have to. Yeah. You can't Otherwise, make it doesn't bed count. <laughs> Otherwise, it doesn't count. <laughs> yeah. When you're like Netflixing with yourself um, yeah. in your bed forever. Yeah. It's not good. But I guess, I mean, I guess to answer your question, um, I thought when I was really at one of my worst times, I thought, oh, people will be better off without me. And these are the things I'm saying in my head. These are some really negative thoughts. I mean, they're now, they're now really loud. They're like, oh, you've only caused a burden. They'll be so much happier. They, things will be less expensive. I mean, I would make, it, it was, it was anything. The I mean make... part of your brain is oh, yeah. the most brutal, Ooh. ruthless prosecuting attorney you will ever encounter. There was a mean motherfucker in my head yeah. and it was trying to take me out. And I couldn't, tr- the thing is I couldn't trust it. So it's actually really difficult when you're having those loud thoughts and someone's trying to interrupt them. Cause you're like, they can't help you. There's nothing they can they do. They don't know. They don't know. Or I'm the only one who's ever felt like this. Mm-hmm. And that was my tape for a while because I was like, oh, no one ever knows what this is like. And there's a whole bunch of other people who know what this is like. And that's actually what's really helped me is other people who've like, yeah, I've actually survived this. And I know my story isn't yours, but you aren't alone. I have felt suicidal, yeah. too. Because um, ultimately, it's the feelings that it's the feelings that, that matter. That's what yeah. unites us or divides us. And to interrupt that horrible negative tape on replay like to have some kind of interruption is really important um but the things that i was saying to myself were all lies but i really believed them i was like oh yeah people would really be better off i actually thought like my mom she can adopt another kid she'll have a better life i really and i truly believe that and i couldn't be more wrong what would you say if you could get in a time machine and go Mm -hmm. back to yourself then and and talk to yourself (sighs) what would you say my goodness you know what i think I think I needed 
it's going to sound really corny. I needed to be held because I, I, when I'm that in my mind, I can, I can negotiate anything. Oh, you're just saying that because you feel guilty. Like I could, you, I, I could say anything to myself and I would have unsaid it. But if I'd go back in time, I would just hold myself and I'd say, you know, it's, it's not, you're not right and you'll be okay. And I really believe that if you've gone through enough bad stuff, your life would get better. I had this like weird Disney fantasy of like, all right, we've gone through some things. It's tough. But after a certain period, life will get better. And when that didn't happen, I went into despair. And I found this quote. And like, I can't even remember who said it. But it was like, it's not that your life gets better. It's that you get better. And that really helped me. And your attitude about your life. Yeah. because and your I, resilience. Yeah, because I was like, oh, okay, so bad stuff's still going to happen. Yeah. It is. And I really thought, oh, well, I've already been through trauma, so now everything should be fine. And it wasn't. Bad stuff kept happening. But I was like, oh, you can get better. You can make a different choice. And that's what I really live. Like, those are the words that I live my life by now. Like, that's, that's kind of my own message to myself. Yeah. So I, would, I guess I'd go back in time and say, hey, kid, it gets better. You know, I I can only, like you, can only speak for myself, but to me, when I'm in pain and I'm in that place where I don't want to be alive, there is nothing like uh, physical comfort uh, from somebody. And I I think they're, chemically, I think it just does something uh, to us, I guess, reminds us that that we're We're not alone, because it's really hard to say I'm alone while somebody's hugging you. you. Hugging you. And then you can also... There's that kind of like, oh, I'm going to cry. Because, yeah. you know, so, sometimes you're just like, well, you know what? I'm alone. No one cares about me. And you make a wall and it can be like a actually like a physical wall. And if mm-hmm. some, someone touches you, I mean, I think that's what the negative thoughts hate. Honestly, they hate when you are connected. I think really the solution is mm-hmm. connectedness. Because mm-hmm. as soon as someone touches me or like hugs me and I just let go, I'm like, oh, this person clearly cares about me. I can't actually argue with this this is love right here i can't argue with it it's yeah. connectedness you know uh, and i do and it's something i would like to say to anybody out there yeah. who will find themselves in the position of being the friend or loved one is do not tell the people that the person uh point out all they have to be grateful for oh my god <laughs> that makes them feel even worse because yeah. then they feel like they're ungrateful Right. Uh, Those and, are like and, suicide catchphrases. Like yeah. it could. What is that one that people? One thing people always said was, um, "Oh, like uh, there's so many suicide catchphrases. Like it will get better tomorrow, or you're, you know, you'll never know until mm-hmm. this happens. Or I mean, oh, you should, you shouldn't do this because your family. How would that impact them? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, so guilting people doesn't actually. Does not. It doesn't actually work. Do not try to no. fix that person. No. Um, no. If you hug them, do not pat them on the back. Oh my god, that's so patronizing. Yeah. Um, I think listen. Uh, one of the things that I do when I'm having a conversation yeah. with, when I'm on the other end of it, yeah. is I list all the things that I love uh, about them, yeah. uh, and uh, say here, here is what I would miss if you weren't here. Yeah. Here is how you have. Uh, positively affected my mm-hmm. life um, and I try to tell people those things about them before they get to that place yeah. just if I'm at lunch with the friends sometimes so I, I just yeah. like to say you know I don't know if you know what you know how much you mean to me mm-hmm. and um, I love 
your laugh. Mm-hmm. I love, you know, uh, watching the Dodger game with you or, um, whatever. And, yeah. um, I think, I think all of those things. Yeah. I don't know why I'm getting so no, but it's emotional. So, it's so important, <laughs> right now. though. I had a friend who recently told me, like, he was feeling suicidal, and he was, you know, he was he, he was down and out and needed money, and so I ended up giving money. But I wrote, I wrote him this card, and he is still holding onto this card, and it says, like, you know, I really hope you stick around because you're incredible for all these reasons, and you know, you're a great human, and. I am honored that you would share with me that you were feeling so down and you would trust me with such something so big. And I like, I hope you stay around and I understand if you can't. And I like, I know like that could infuriate people, but I was just, that was the truth. And he's, he's still here. Um, and he still calls me and he's, you know, he's better. And it's not cause I did that. It's just because like someone else was like, He's like, you know what? You're not going to, I knew you're not going to judge me about this. And I was like, who am I to judge you? I'm in a freaking movie about suicide. I'm not going to be like, oh no, you (laughs) like, that would be really weird. Um, But he, you know, the money helped something, but it wasn't the money. He was like, I'm still holding onto that card. Like that is getting me through. And I was like, wow, my gosh, I didn't, I didn't even think that it would have that much impact. You know, when, when we, Take that scary step of asking somebody for help or just getting vulnerable and sharing what's going on inside us. We give that person an opportunity to love us, which makes them feel, which makes their life better because it brings purpose and meaning to their life and they feel more connected and purposeful. But when we're in that dark place, we don't think that. We think, um, Oh, I'm, you know, they, they could be at home watching The Bachelor, you know, who should, I shouldn't, and they should be the one that's suicidal. Right, that's They're a horrible freaking show. But, um, I'm sorry if I'm just kind of uh, taking this off in, uh, in tangents, but all of these things are kind of occurring to me yeah. as, as we're, um, as we're talking about mm-hmm. this stuff. And, um, if I don't mention it now, I will. I will forget. Yeah, no. It's um, so back to um, you go to the psych ward. Oh boy, yeah. They're playing Silence of the Lambs. Oh my gosh, they're playing Silence of the Lambs, and they're also telling they're telling me two messages. One is that if you've had a suicidal thought, you're broken, and this is the message that I'm what? getting. Yeah, who said that? Ah, oh, um, some of the like nurses there. I mean, they were like psych nurses and i don't know what they're technically called that person there should be a lawsuit against that person i mean the things i've if people can be sued for uh, bullying somebody on facebook into committing suicide yeah a nurse in a psych ward telling you you're broken is fucking worse to me than that well you want to hear worse than that i mean sure i so the first and I've gone to many a hospital. So this was the Silence of Lands Hospital's one hospital. The next hospital I went to was after um the rape and I had attempted and I got put into the um put into the psych ward again and I'm telling someone in intake and she says, Don't let yourself get rape, raped again. You've got to be fucking 
kidding she me? says you can do she's like you know there's self-defense classes you can take now and i and i'm sitting there and i'm like furious and she has so much power and i want to scream at her and i'm like thank you you know i'm sitting there just like so angry but i'm like i have to present well or i'll be in the psych ward longer and this woman thinks she's doing something helpful like she thinks she's doing a good job and i'm like you know and and that's why for me i'm like hospitals for me are not they're they're more traumatizing how how are we not educating the people that are going to work there about do's do's and don'ts of how to talk to somebody who's suicidal or does that person just not care have they been taught that and they just don't care i'm sure it's different from state to state and facility you know facility but jesus there's like there's been people in psych boards who've been incredible and horrible and i i think i really believe this that i don't know what it's like to see people who've tried to kill themselves every day i don't know what kind of armor you have to put up to protect yourself um but there's one of those things where like if you can't actually feel anymore, you probably shouldn't work there. Like it's, I don't know if it's protection. I don't think people are trying to be jerks. Maybe shorter shifts, fewer days a week, something. Trauma-informed care, meeting people where they're at, not treating them like another body. And then you'll have people who are incredible. Like it's just, but it's never, for me, it's never consistent. Mm -hmm. It's always like one or the other. And it's mostly been the other, which has been really bad. And the other message I got was, Oh, you're presenting. What are you doing here? You don't belong here. And I was like, I don't think anyone belongs here, honestly. But they would say, oh, you're presenting so well, so you're fine. And I was always like, yeah, I mean, like, you have to look a certain way to need Mm -hmm. help. And, you know, I'm a black woman in America. I don't, you know, people cry about stuff that I'm like, whatever, it's Tuesday, shit's hard. (laughs) Oh, you know what I mean? So like someone's version of breaking down is not my version of breaking down. But when I've asked for help, I've actually not gotten it because people are like, but you seem like you're doing so well. And I'm like, I told you I tried to kill myself and I can't get help. Mm -hmm. But then when I do get help, it's not helpful. I don't even yeah. know if that makes sense. But what you should say in, in, what you should say in that moment to, to that person <laughs> is, well, you know how you have uh that that weird stuff that turns you on <laughs> but I can't tell it by looking at you. It's kinda like that, but it's not sexual. So it's not <laughs> it's like, I should follow up with that. Yeah. Then they'll lock me away. They'll be like, Oh, you are one of us. I'll be like, Oh my God. But yeah. The stigma of looking too healthy to get help is something I've faced a lot. And the help, which is, you know, that's a lot of people. A lot of people are struggling in silence because um, people won't believe them or they've asked and it wasn't really useful or, you know, and those are the people who you hear on the news like, they always seem so happy. It's always, it's that always that like, always, yeah. it's always like, oh, I never knew anything was wrong. I was like, yeah, I'm sure you didn't because. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think someone failed them somewhere down the line and didn't and they didn't get the help they needed yeah. or asked for possibly. Yeah, I think we all need to be more educated about how to deal with people who are depressed or yeah. anxious or um and not to fix them, just to bring no. more comfort into the world, more understanding, more connection. Yeah, be human. Yeah, be human. Uh so what's what's next? What's next? Um well, I'm 
So I'm in the S word. It just got a SAMHSA voice award. And I'm really excited about that because that means that maybe other people will watch the film. Uh, we're screening it. Um, no, I mean in your everywhere. story. Oh, okay. Yes. I thought you meant like in life. What no, happened after no, that? No, 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 Oh, what happened We'll get after to that. that. We'll get to the good stuff at the okay, end. Okay, cool. You're, you can like recut right it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. So I'm like, where are we? Because we jumped around. I'm like, which psych ward was I at at this time? <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Um, I'm more kind of interested in the yeah. arc of your emotional states and your beliefs about yourself, how you see the world and, and how you connect to it than mm. um, the uh, the events. Uh, you know, the events themselves are great to share. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I love yeah. the story. But what I would like is if you have a story that highlights the emotional experience and the change for better or for worse that, yeah. it, that has happened. So... I will back up a little bit. Um, so after the, the first time I attempted and I was young and I went to the psych ward, I really pretended everything was fine. Um, I was, I used to be like a black goth. So, which in mm -hmm. itself was complicated, especially in Georgia, you know, <laughs> oh rocking, rocking like, like fishnets and combat boots and a lot of eyeliner. So now how would that have been, uh, Jesus. at the, the all black high school? Um, not, it didn't go so well, um, yeah. when I ended up, you know, getting, uh, removed from one of my private schools cause I had been gotten a little trouble. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wasn't really super accepted in the black high schools. They were like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. So I actually kind of, I stopped wearing my combat boots. I still listened to corn, but I didn't tell anyone about it. Like that was my like dark, dark yeah edgy music um but i really started presenting like everything was okay so everything was not okay but what i learned from that first attempt was that if you just pretend they won't make you go back to that place so just pretend everything's okay and that pretending lasted me a good 10 years i know that sounds ridiculous were you but, suffering during that whole time oh yeah i mean it, talk about the go ahead yeah it was so some I didn't love myself. I didn't even like myself. But what I did like was how other people saw me. So I really sought out attention from people. And I really wanted other people to like me. And I thought I could live on other people's praise. So when I got to college, I wanted to meet everyone. I mean, they called me the mayor of my like college because I would say hello to everyone. And I thought other people's love would make me love myself. And it just, it just didn't. You can't actually love yourself through someone else's eyes. But I, like, it kept me alive for a while. I think it can, it can definitely be some kindling on the, yeah. on the, on the fire. But ultimately, yeah, it's, um, it's, it, it's a nudge in the right direction. But yeah, yeah it's not enough of a, a push to to get to the place of self-love no and i didn't i didn't believe i really deserved any of these things and i always thought i was fooling everyone and i was a horrible person but they mm -hmm. i was just charming so mm -hmm. they didn't know any better so uh two questions mm -hmm. what were the negative self-beliefs uh all all along when do you remember them starting and and what were they um and what was it that you thought was unlovable mm -hmm. about you you know, I... And were there any incidents attached to these thoughts or feelings? Yeah, I... So, my grandmother dying was really huge because I think <clears throat> I think she was the only person I actually believed loved me um, at that time. I know that's not true now, but I didn't actually feel like my mom loved me 
and feelings aren't facts, but that was my truth at the point. Um, and I knew I was my dad. I was like, uh, I didn't have a great relationship with him. And was he just out of the picture, or um, did he move he, out of town? Was he, he still we around? Divorced. Uh, lived in uh, New Jersey while I was in Georgia. Had another fa- like got remarried. Had other kids. Um, just kind of, I felt replaced. Yeah. Um, and so when she, when my grandmother died, the negative self talk was no one loves you and then that would become no one loves you and why should they you're not really worth anything and then it would become well no one loves you you're not worth anything um you shouldn't really be alive like it 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 would start off you know like no one loves you and end up you shouldn't be alive and those thoughts were constant now some days were better than other days but over like a 10-year period it there was always in the back of my head. I didn't have like a plan that was like ready to go. And I had relationships and I had, you know, friendships and I had a whole lot of people who were telling me they loved me. And I just, you know, I fed off of that, but I didn't believe them. I just thought, you know, well, they don't really know me. No one really knows you. And you're not a good person. I don't even know whether you're not a good person came from. I think it might be some early parent stuff with my dad um, feeling rejected. So that combination of things was just like, you're worthless. You don't really need, shouldn't really be alive. And I just kept living. But I wasn't really like I was alive, but I wasn't living, if that makes sense. I just. Oh, I put, yes. Yeah. It makes sense. I put on my mask. I was shiny all day. I would make people laugh. Um, I wouldn't let anyone get to know me. And I was a journalist. So it was perfect. I found the perfect way to stay connected with people without ever being vulnerable. Because when you're a journalist, you have to be charming and you have to get someone to answer your questions. Mm-hmm. And they think you're connected to them because they've told you their story but you've actually told them nothing about yourself. And that's how I actually lived my entire life. I, you know, and I actually, I think people are really interesting. So it wasn't fake. I was really interested in them, but I kept a distance and I kept it like, Oh, well, no one knows you. Well, it was true. Cause I wouldn't let anyone know me. And I was like, well, if they got to know you, they wouldn't like you. So that truth was real because there was always this like wall. Um, and that just was there for years. So even through college, I'm doing well. I'm writing for all these papers. I'm published in the New York Times, which as an undergrad is the hugest thing. No one has That's ever done unreal. that. It's great. I'm so excited. And where like, were you going to school? I was going to Purchase College, uh, yeah. SUNY Purchase State mm-hmm. University in New York. Yeah. Um, doing really well there, working at the theater. Everything looks so good on paper. I look so happy. I'm like, you look at my pictures, I'm just like gleeful. Um, and after all that energy, I would go home and I'd be like, oh my God, I don't want to be alive. And then I'd put my mask on and do it all over again. How exhausting is oh, that so when, exhausting. when you walk in the door yeah. after 12 hours of small talk? Oh my goodness. When, when I used to come home from the set of uh, the TV show that I that I did, I would fall onto the bed and I yeah. would sleep until I had to get up the next morning to to do it again. It would yeah. be like fourteen hours of just utter utter exhaustion. It's like smiling when you're depressed is like bench pressing five hundred pounds. It is so difficult, and then it's and it's familiar. It's like not. It's difficult, and it's also like oh, that's what I'm doing. That's my life. Like it just was what I did. Yeah. And also, then everyone believed that I was happy, which made me furious. 
because I wanted them to know I was miserable, but I wouldn't show anyone that I was miserable. It was ridiculous. I mean, if, if we think about it, it would be like somebody having a broken leg and going to work and saying, I cannot limp. I cannot yeah. limp. I have got to walk smoothly. And yeah. imagine a 12-hour day of trying to walk smoothly mm-hmm. with the cast, terrified, thinking uh, your world is going to crumble if yeah. somebody finds out. That- and I didn't want them to find out, but I did. It was really like the struggle. Like, why won't anyone really see me? Because we, I think we want them to react in the way that we vaguely have in our mind. Yeah. We want to feel comfort. Um, at least in my mind, that's yeah. that's what it is. But I don't think most people would get suicidal if they had had great experiences with vulnerability yeah, up that's till true. then. Yeah, my vulnerability experiences was like, don't ever do that again. Don't ever right. tell anyone the truth. Yeah. Lie forever. That's what I learned from the psych ward. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's that's helpful. It's like telling the person with the broken leg, uh, oh, yeah, you just need to ride the horse more. Right? It's like, well, that's the thing that no, broke just my be leg. Like, walk it off. <laughs> walk it off, broken leg guy. So all of this is happening and then I am attacked. Um, when I am attacked, I just, I couldn't pretend anymore. I, it was like my whole body was like, fuck this. I'm out of here. Like, I tried for years to pretend everything's okay. It's not okay. I don't want to be here anymore. There was a brief window of time. And when I mean brief window, I mean like there were two days when I was like, you know what? I probably should get help. And I contacted some friends and I told them what happened. And they said, okay, you should tell your mom. Let's figure something out. Let's get you help. About the attack or that you're suicidal? About the attack, which, because as soon as the attack happened, I was like, I'm going to be, well, I was already suicidal. It was just really deeply, it was really deep inside. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a plan. But once I was raped, I was, my, my plan suddenly, like, it was like, boop, this is what you're going to do. This is how you're going to do it. This is where you're going to go. So that made me afraid. And I was like, I should probably tell someone. So I did reach out to my friends. They were really helpful. They were great. They were like, all right, let's tell your mom. Let's really, you know, let's actually get you some help. But what ended up happening in the time that I told my friends and my mom found out, I didn't end up telling her. um, I ended up driving by uh, the guy's house who attacked me. And from that, I got triggered and I just flew off and I attempted like I it was there was no more processing there was no more talking there was no more thinking I couldn't I was terrified I was like he's going to kill me I will do it first what do you remember feeling in your I mean you just shared what you were thinking in that moment what do you remember feeling um in your body as you drove was it accidentally or was it 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 accidentally what 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 was the feeling you got it was like I don't know. It was like adrenaline. Like my body was like suddenly the most pumped up ever. And it was, everything was going fast. I was like, Oh my God, there it is. There's his house. He's going to hurt me again. Okay. I have to get out of here. My body was just like, run, 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 run. It went really fast. I drove home. I like wrote the rent check, which tipped off my roommates that mm-hmm. something was wrong. Cause I, it wasn't rent time at all. I was like, well, I'm not going to leave them hanging. I got my stuff and I got out of there. But my body was like, it was, you know, that fight or flight. It yeah, was flight. dry mouth, shaky hands. Yeah, shaky hands, like, like couldn't breathe. Like it was, like it was happening all over again. It was mm-hmm. like your, my body was reliving the rape mm-hmm. again, and it was like, no, we can't do this, and it was fleeing. So that's 
that's what led to the, uh, I guess it was my second attempt. Yeah. And uh, I'm assuming that you knew this person previously yeah. to this. Um, yeah. You said that they had contacted you later. Were Were they not aware that they had hurt you? The person who attacked me was not a well, like, he's not well. Um, and that's not an excuse. Like, he should have never raped me. But he has a different idea of reality than what actually happened. And so when I did confront him later in life and I said, look, you did this to me. Don't ever talk to me again. He couldn't. He like was like, no, I'm going to keep trying to contact you. So, I mean, that's why on this to this day, I'm not on Facebook. I'm like, I can't deal with social media because he would always find a new way of like creating a different profile and trying to track me down. Um, I even tried to go to the police and, you know, get protected. And they were like, ah, it happened too long ago. We can't really help you. And um, so I couldn't actually find a way of protecting myself, which is why the more recent time when I had those thoughts, I was, you know, I was like, I'm going to try to do everything to protect myself. And I reached out to my mom and my friends and they were like, all right, let's, what do we need to do um, to make sure you're safe? And what did that feel like? You know, it felt, it felt good because I didn't, the previous time I was like, I'm going to take myself out because this person's going to take me out first and I'm terrified and I'm also miserable. This time I was like, I'm having these thoughts. These thoughts aren't going to kill me, but if I don't tell anyone, they might, let me tell the people I love and I care about and let's do something different because being silent didn't work for you. Um, that almost got you killed. So let's do something different this time. I ended up taking time off of work because I was like, you know, everything I put before my mental health relationships, jobs, I've lost. So why don't I just put my mental health first? And that was the first time I've ever done that. That's so funny because that's one of the things that they uh, say in uh, addiction programs mm. is anything you uh, put ahead of recovery, you yeah. will lose to, lost to your time. addiction. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so what changed then? You know, I think... Unless we're, we're missing... Uh, oh, uh, the thing that changed from what happened recently and I mean in the last year to you know, the, you know, attempt that I was talking about was... How long ago was... Let's see, I'm 32 now. I think I was 24, 25. Okay. So it's been some years. Um, In between that time, like, after I got about out out of the hospital, um, I was like, you know what? I can't do this again. I'm living in this life. I'm pretending to be happy all the time. I'm miserable. I'm lying to everyone. I'm trying to people please and it's killing me and I'm mad at them and myself and everyone. And I was like, I can't actually, this is not sustainable. And I don't like, I don't want to do this. And actually when, and I don't want to actually talk about the methods, but when I attempted, um, I had, I had a spiritual thing happen to me. And I said, right before I attempted, I said, if I wake up from this, if I live through this, I am not going to do this again. And I just made a promise. I was like, I'm not doing this again. And was that to uh, God or a higher power? It was to God. It was to the universe. Um, I had a friend who, it's the weirdest thing happened. Um, So I told told you I was running. So I had passed my assailant's house. I'm freaking out. My body is like, ah, I'm like on speed almost. Like that's how my body's feeling. I'm running. I went to my house. I grabbed all my stuff. I had a friend who had passed away a couple of years ago and he left me this lavender rose and I took it um, with me along with like my teddy bear and things that were like, you know, 
of happiness to me, like a picture of my grandmother. And I took all those things to me to the hotel um, where I attempted. And right before I attempted, I apologized. Uh, It was my friend AJ who had died earlier. And I felt really guilty because he had died accidentally when he was filming. Um, He did a stunt and did not live through the stunt. And I felt so guilty that I was attempting when he wasn't alive. Like I was like, I wish I could trade places with you. You deserve to be here. I don't. Um, So before I you know, before I like attempted, I told I said out loud, I said, I'm really sorry, AJ. And I had the lavender rose with me. I woke up the next day and was gone. And the rose was gone. The rose was gone. And it's it's a hotel like there was no one else in that hotel with me. And I was just, I, I, ugh, it's just, I just was like, okay, I'm supposed to be here and I can't explain it. I'm not even like super religious, but I was like, oh my God, you know, he's, he's telling me I got to stick around. And so I made that promise to the universe, but I also made it to him and I was like, all right, I'm going to try everything I can to be alive. So that's what I spent the rest of <laughs> the rest of every, you know, Till now and forever. I was like, all right, what is it going to take for me to be alive? So now share that with us. Well, what it took for me to be alive was a whole bunch of work. And looking at all the stuff that I didn't want to look at and also taking accountability for things. Like, I was a super dramatic person. I loved drama. And I didn't actually admit that to myself. But mm-hmm. I'd be like, how did all these things happen to me? And I'd be in the, I'd be going to a soap opera set every freaking day mm-hmm. that I created. I created a lot of my own issues and turmoil and i took no responsibility so it was kind of like go ahead and finish your thoughts well no it's just it was just like you know friends would i'd have attitudes with friends or something something it was all this i can't even tell you because it's so it's like trivial college shit that and high school stuff that shouldn't matter but i created so much of my own pain Mm -hmm. and i also fed off of like gossip and drama and all of that stuff and it wasn't healthy do you do you think that we go to that place because we're in pain and we don't know how to be vulnerable yet and so in the absence of letting go through vulnerability and allowing ourselves to kind of be caught and and you know comforted or you know connected to we feel like we have to you know uh, manipulate Ooh, yeah. our surroundings to give us some type of feeling that's going to mm-hmm. make us feel alive yeah you know that's manipulating your surroundings to feel alive that's what i did for 10 years yeah and that was and i feel for every person for the roommates i lived with in college for the friends i had and i've lost i i was not good because i i just didn't know how to be alive so i did a whole bunch of things to feel alive which meant playing people like they were chess pieces and it was it's not a fun thing to learn about yourself you kind of like oh i already i was already suicidal i don't need to know that i'm an asshole too and i was like oh i'm an asshole um but that was part of healing (laughs) that's one of the reasons why i understand serial killers i not what they do but that they, fe- I have experienced feeling dead inside mm. and done things that I knew didn't make sense, yeah. but nothing else would jolt me yeah. into feeling alive. And uh, I th- I- I'm glad that you shared that about yeah. uh, you know creating wreckage because um, it's 
it just makes it so much harder because then that voice in our head yeah. tells us, oh, we, re- we really are bad rather than I don't have the tools to learn how to be vulnerable and set boundaries. Yeah. Oh, and, and I had no boundaries. boundaries. Yeah. Woo, boundaries. What What was that word? Yeah. I had none So how did, how did you learn all this stuff? Well, so I ended up going to a program in Georgia because when I attempted, my mom was like, all right, you're coming back to Georgia. And that was the last freaking place I wanted to go. I did not want to go back there, but we I ended up going to a program um, and they were really into psychoeducation. They were like, all right, let's learn about how you're thinking. And they have this they had this like um, this worksheet of all of the ways you can have like negative thoughts and i had all of them it's like black or white thinking mm-hmm. it was oh my goodness it was like predictive thinking like i always thought i knew the future so every type of bad mm-hmm. or like unhealthy way of thinking i could check if there was 10 i had eight of them and i was like mm-hmm. oh my gosh i'm doing all of i'm causing almost all of my pain our crystal ball oh wow creates more wreckage it does because then we base our present emotions on yes. what we think is going to happen which almost never actually happens i was always wrong but i was always right because then i predict yes. it was that weird like i'm gonna yes. predict this happened so i'm gonna yes. act this way and then it happened and then i was like oh i'm right. right i was like oh what a hot mess and i think the other thing that we do too is that we um we're in that place where we feel so dead inside and we're so looking mm-hmm. for something to jolt us yeah. out of it uh that we become wrapped up in ourselves oh yeah and so People might even be trying to connect to us, mm-hmm. but we're so selfish uh, yeah. in our obsession. We may be doing things for other people, but we're still obsessed about ourselves yeah. in, our, in our pain. I definitely was a different kind of selfish. I was the kind of selfish who, you know, those people who like give all the time, but then they're kind of like... To look good? Yeah, but beyond looking good, kind of being like, I cave so much and it hurts. Like, mm-hmm. I'm like, shut up. You know, you, you don't actually... Mm-hmm. I would give to people who didn't care or deserve any of the things. And then I'd have people who were actually genuinely interested and wanted to have a relationship with me. And I avoided the heck out of those people. I was like, no, it's almost like there was a health meter. I was like, beep, beep, beep. You yeah. seem healthy. Let me <laughs> get away from you. Um, and now those are all my people. Those are my folks. Yeah. And the people who were more interested in my soap opera are gone. And I must say, I'm still interesting without having a soap opera around me, but it's definitely healthier. So uh, you went to this program. I went to this program. It taught me about it. It it made me have a real honest, hard look at myself, how I had gotten there, why I'd gotten there, the stuff I hadn't owned, things I wasn't ready to do. And I went into really intense therapy. I found a therapist and I know everyone has different criteria for therapy, but I found a therapist who made me laugh. I was like, hmm. she's funny. I need someone. And I and I said, I need someone who's funny and it's going to call me on my bullshit because I can mask and I can charm people. And I would charm my way out of therapy. Do you know how many freaking therapists I pay? Maybe they knew what I was doing, but I wasted a whole bunch of money because I was like, yeah, everything's great. I'm like, why am I paying you money? Was it because you were afraid they were going to give you uh, homework to do or? To maybe or... really look at myself and I'd have to touch those, th- those ugly yeah. feelings about why and really get in there. And I didn't want to do the work. Also, like I enjoyed you know, charming people. So, and also making them feel good. It's and a that high. Made, it is being a able high. to charm people is a oh, high, it's such a high. And I, I literally lived on that. So yeah. I told this woman, I was like, you cannot like, that's, that's my MO. 
don't let me do it. And sh- and sure enough, she would call me. She's like, are you trying to charm me right now? I was like, oh, my God, you're right. I am. Oh, this is the best choice ever because I was finally honest. Yeah. I had been lying for so many years and to myself the most. And once you stop, I don't know, once I stopped lying to myself, I was like, oh, OK, I can't I can't I have to live a different life because this is not working. I had a friend of mine. Uh, the first time I met him, he said to me, um, I am the most full of shit person you will ever meet. Really? It's like he wanted to call himself yeah. on it so yeah. that he had somebody who knew that he was wearing a mask that exactly. he couldn't help keep putting on every day. Oh, that's yeah. so honest and hard. Like, it's so yeah. hard. Yeah. Um, was there any p- particular modality uh, that your therapist or the center yeah, used? Yeah, so they did psychoeducation. I personally was all about cognitive behavioral therapy. For me... That's what worked because I did a whole bunch of psychodynamic. When I was five, this thing happened. Mm-hmm. And I actually pretty much knew I was re- I could over-intellectualize anything, mm-hmm. but I needed to change my thoughts because my thoughts were the things that were connecting to my feelings, which were connecting to my actions. And I needed to change my thoughts so that I wouldn't have the actions of self-harm. And so that's what ended up working for me um, was to actually change my thoughts because that's what was really creating this like dark cloud and like holding me back and so how did you do that well i mean we would really like take time and say like okay like so for example i got a speeding ticket i got a lot of speeding tickets. you're a terrible um, person whore. I, you I, were right you were absolutely am. right but do you know my thoughts would go you got a speeding ticket you're a terrible person you deserve to die. I'm not even kidding. Oh my god. That's how my thoughts were. Oh my god. So we had to so my therapist would sit there and we'd have to really like break down the thoughts. Flow chart it. Flow chart it. We'd have to she she did some things. She did this thing called stop thought where you actually as the thought is coming, you're like, hey, no, that's not mm-hmm. true. And I looked really really interesting in freaking grocery store and I'm having a negative thought. I'm like, no thought, that's not true. Can't believe they didn't like haul me off to another <laughs> psych ward. But that's what I had to do. I had to stop them because it was so natural. I didn't realize I didn't even realize they were thoughts. I just actually thought I don't It's even, the truth. It's we just think the, it's truth. the truth. It's just yeah. the truth. But she's like, No, you think because you got a speeding ticket you should die? Let's talk about that. I'm like, yeah. Oh my god, you're right. How did I jump from Maybe you should learn how to drive slower to death. And I really believed that. So it was like, oh, stop that thought immediately. Yeah. Like, it's, you don't know you're looking in a funhouse mirror until you look oof. in a regular mirror. Yeah. And you're like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. It, it, it's incredible. Yeah. So that doing that a lot and practicing it and then having working with it, even with my mom, I would tell her, I'm like, these are the thoughts I'm thinking. She's like, all right, slow down. Mm -hmm. Is this true? You know, what's your evidence? And I didn't even have evidence at all. I was like, Oh, it's Tuesday. She's like, that's not evidence. So yep. That's that thoughts. She's like, that's a lie. And I'm like, Oh, you're right. That's a lie. Okay. That's what what my therapist does. She's like, what are the facts on the ground? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you, I was like, Oh, I can't actually argue with that. So when you start to flow chart your crystal ball, you begin to see how fucking ridiculous it is. Oh, it is so ridiculous. And how uh, it's just dominoes, ridiculous dominoes. Over and over. Yeah. It's like a tape. Everyone has a different thing that's in their brain, but interrupting that negative tape of failure and like, you don't deserve to be here. Mm -hmm. That's the work I had to do. Like, and that was, that was not easy. And did writing help? Cause you had to slow those thoughts down to write I, it out. Writing helped. Talking about it helped. Kind of actually getting, evi- you know, we even had a flow chart of like, what's your evidence? <laughs> Where did this come from? Where's, what's its origin story? Can I mean, I, can I use, I'm a piece of shit as the evidence? <laughs> 
no. And the, the world hates me? <laughs> I'm a piece of shit. The world hates me. I'm like, what's your evidence? I only got two Facebook likes this week. Okay. You know, yeah. I mean, you, some, sometimes when I'm not well, I can make anything seem true. That's why I needed sometimes to actually have, my mom says like, hey, maybe you don't need to be in your brain alone. It doesn't seem so safe in there. So I'd have to like throw some thoughts out to her. She's like, girl, that don't sound right at all. I'm like, oh, thanks. Wow, it sounds like you've really improved your relationship with your mom. Oh, she's incredible. Oh my goodness. She's so wonderful. She's like, it's like night and day. It's like a night and day. And she's, she's not blaming or judgmental. She's just like, oh, honey, that's where you're at. Let's talk about it. And it's wow. such a different approach than fear, which I don't have a kid. I don't know what I would do if my kid, I mean, I know what I would hope to do, but I don't know what I'd actually do. Yeah. You know, it's a different thing. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that like finding out, Finding those tools and working those tools have been helpful. And then when adversity hits, pulling them back up. Because I really believed, like, once I had done all my work, I was like, I'm never going to have another suicidal thought again. I was like, I am cured. I'm good. And something bad happened. I told you that individual reached out to me. And the first thing that happened was that the thought came back. And I was like, I was so down. I was like, oh, my gosh, I did all this freaking work. And I have a suicidal thought. And I really felt really discouraged by that. But this time, instead of like letting that thought rule my life, I was honest. I told my mom. I told my therapist. I like took time off of work. I actually did the things I needed mm -hmm. to do. And so it wasn't like, oh, it's solved. It's For me, it's now like if I have a thought, I'm like, oh, that's information. Okay, mm -hmm. what's going on? Right. You're having a suicidal thought. Something's wrong. Something's yeah. not going right. Like, let's take a look at it. Let's slow down and look at what's happening because that gives you information as opposed to, I need to react to this thought. Right. right. To get know? this feeling out of my body. Right. Like, oh that's my what God. we think in that, in yeah. that moment is it's terrifying. It's, yeah. a, it's very terrifying to have that thought in your head, especially when you're like, oh my God, I did all this work. But now I'm like, all right, thought, what? You're not going to own me. Yeah. Yeah. Your, feel your feelings ain't going to kill you. They're really But aren't. running from them might. Yeah. It almost did. And I'm really just. I'm just glad that I'm here and that, you know, and if, if anyone can benefit from hearing stories from people who've survived and were wrong, you know, that's, that's, that's what I'm here to do yeah. because I didn't get to hear those stories. So you, you learned about, uh, uh, boundaries, self care, yep. learning, oh, yeah. a, building a support network oh, of yeah. people you can be vulnerable with. Absolutely. Um, mindfulness, mm. um, learning to examine, uh, the, the way your thought patterns work. Yeah. Um, like all the big tools, yeah. human connection. I mean, isn't that like nine out of the, the 10 tools I think is so. just like picking up the phone, talking to somebody you like, trust oh, and crap. going, yeah, let yeah. me call, let me call someone in just like connectedness. I think that is actually what interrupts suicide is human connectedness. It's like, cause suicide is so lonely it's and so, so lonely. scary and dark. But if you're talking to someone, it's like, it just, I don't know. I feel like it's this bastard that we have yes. to fight and connectedness is the thing and, that we And I would say it. the right person. The right person. If you're person. talking to the right person. Yeah, that's because true. Some people, Let's be clear. You know, will try to fix you or oh don't really God. listen or... Um, Make it about them. How could you do this to me? I definitely had that. I was like, um, oh my God. I was like, I'm not doing this to you. <laughs> <laughs> Where can people uh, find the movie? 
the movie is it's called the S word. Called the S word. It's traveling around the country right now. You can look us up on the S word movie um, dot com and see if you can book a filming. We don't have it out mm-hmm. large distribution yet um but we're traveling around and going to colleges so well if, gonna... it, if, if the rest of it is as good as the trailer uh oh. that that i saw it it will be an amazing amazing movie yeah. thank you sure to change lives as, as i think you are by um speaking about this in such a such a great and relatable way um yeah. for people to to understand because if a person like you who is um, charming and and kind, charming in a good way, not yeah, in a manipulative not a, not way. Not a manipulative but, yeah. way. Yeah. Um, easy to talk to, yeah, and you. open and and vulnerable. You know, if somebody like you can can get to that place, I think the person who is um, in that suicidal place will mm-hmm. say, "Well, then anybody can yeah. be." that way if this person who i would envy if i saw them walking down the aisle at the grocery store assuming that they weren't uh, talking to themselves (laughs) um and so it's uh it's i'm glad that your uh your lavender uh rose disappeared me too and you're here thank you thank you kalechi thank you paul what a pleasure to talk to and what a great ambassador for uh for this this issue i'm so glad that our our paths uh crossed uh but I want to talk about your teeth. What, Paul? That's right. I want to tell you guys about Quip. Quip is a new company that's refreshing the way people brush their teeth. Quip is an electric toothbrush that packs premium vibration and timer features into an ultra-slim design that's half the cost of bulkier brushes. It's basically like Apple designed a toothbrush, but without the big, pr- <laughs> the big price tag. I'm having trouble with my peas today. Uh, You have to see it and brush with it yourself. You can even subscribe to receive new brush heads on a dentist-recommended three-month plan for just five bucks, including free shipping. Quip is backed by leading dentists and was named as one of Time Magazine's best inventions of 2016. They won a 2016 GQ Grooming Award and made it on Oprah's 2017 New Year's O list and Quip starts at just 25 bucks. So right now, go to getquip.com slash mental to get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash mental. That's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash mental. Uh... They, uh, speaking of um, business, um, the algorithm that they use to uh, calculate downloads for podcasts uh, has been changing over the last six months, and it is getting more and more stringent for what they consider a download. And in a nutshell, the measured downloads of uh, this podcast have gone down by about 50%. And that is actually directly tied to the ad revenue. Um, And I will never be able to keep this show afloat um, just on ad revenue. And especially now that the um, algorithm changed. And that's where monthly donors come in. Uh, I hate to ask for money, but we need it. 
And if you would consider becoming a monthly donor for as little as a dollar a month uh, through Patreon, it would be so awesome. It would mean a lot to me. And you also qualify for uh, bonus content, which I occasionally release. Um, so um, you would go to patreon.com slash mentalpod, and I'll put the link up to all the stuff that I've mentioned uh, on the show uh, under the show notes for this episode. But um, it, it really, really helps. Um, let's get to some, let's get to some, the, the aforementioned uh, dark surveys. This first one is filled out by uh, a woman who calls herself unsure. Uh, she is 18, uh, identifies as bisexual, and was raised in a totally chaotic environment. Uh, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. For people that are new to the show, um, I've been doing it for six years. I think maybe once somebody... Uh, wrote, I'm not sure if it counts, where it was like, oh yeah, I'm not sure if that counts. Uh, every other time, it's like, oh my God, how could you not think that that counts? Uh, so she writes, when I was a young adolescent, my mother was unable to see me as anything but the naive, perfect, non-sexual child she wanted me to be. As a result, my father took over giving me the sex talk, etc., except he always seemed to get a little too personal about it all. We were very close at the time, so even though I felt extremely uncomfortable about our conversations, I never told him how I felt. He would tell me stories about his sexual endeavors as a teenager. Right there, right there is a form of incest. Just that alone. That would, that would, if you shared that with a therapist or any um, uh, a teacher, anybody who is legally obliged to contact the authorities when they hear of, of something happen, uh, happening in a home that is unsafe, they would, by law, have to call Child Protective Services, just so you know um, that we have already hit the threshold for what would uh, bring the authorities in. Uh, and, uh, he would tell me stories about his sexual endeavors as a teenager, which were extensive and not always immoral, and suggest websites with everything from medical information to straight-up pornography, all marketed towards teenage girls for, quote, educational purposes. God knows why he knew so much about the topic. Some of it was pretty typical, I guess, but this wasn't a one-time thing. These talks took place pretty regularly and only took place when we were alone, just the two of us usually in the car. Even though it made me uncomfortable, this was pretty much the only male attention I received throughout early puberty, so I grew up looking to him whenever I wanted to feel attractive, always asking him when I wanted to know if I looked good in a dress or shorts, even if he didn't actually seem all that interested. In some sort of perverted way, part of me actually wanted my own father to find me hot, just to re relive some form of positive attention. I now know that I am bisexual, but I tell everyone I am a lesbian and avoid any romantic or sexual relationships with men because I am afraid of what I will feel. And I just want to say, you know, you wrote, um, in some sort of perverted way, part of me actually wanted my own father to find me hot. You know, that's like somebody saying, um, uh, yeah, I was in a desert for uh, 90 days and, um, you know, I guess it was kind of gluttonous of me to, uh, you know, think about nothing except that glass of water. You were you were being emotionally uh, starved in your family, and that was 
the little scrap that was tossed your way. And it's super fucked up that that's all you got. So don't blame yourself for that. That is just human. You were dying to be seen. And sadly, the only way that you could be seen was being perfect for your mom or being something that gave your dad uh, some type of, uh, I don't know, I don't know what what his reasons were, but clearly uh, that was sexual abuse, what he was doing. Uh, ever been emotionally abused? Uh, my father and I remained close until he killed himself last year. Uh, since then, my sister has been in a mental hospital twice, and I've been couch hopping on and off to avoid the fighting at home for months, just biding my time until I go away to college. My mother is extremely manipulative, and my sister is the same, and violent too, though this is usually directed at my mom, not me. I can't describe how bad it has been comfortably, as even talking about my situation with my father makes me very guilty about disrespecting the dead. That sounds stupid, but it's just the truth. It's not, it's not stupid. It, you, you know, you sound like such a, a, a sweet soul and your father, whether consciously or not, has done such a masterful job and your mom of brainwashing you into putting their needs ahead of yours that you would feel guilty about talking about somebody that legitimately abused you after they're gone when he was legitimately abusing you, not only when you were alive, but when your personality was forming and you needed the most protection and the most guidance and the most love. Um, that sounds stupid, but it's just the truth. Please just believe me uh, that the abuse is real. You don't have to, you don't have to convince me. Um, any positive experiences with the abusers? Yes, my parents literally raised me, and that usually comes with at least a few happy memories, I think. My seventh birthday was great. My dad made pirate and princess costumes for all my friends. Back before the fighting started and I began approaching puberty, things were great. Wow. Wow. Uh, darkest thoughts. I think about killing myself so often and have for so long that it's just become a habit. It's not like I actually would, but it just pops into my head as a reflex whenever the appropriate thought for a normal person would be, gosh, this isn't great. Darkest secrets. I intentionally deceive people just to receive positive attention and to be the manipulator instead of the manipulated. I build and destroy relationships. I don't even... I don't even always mean to. It's just how I am at this point. Maybe it's just a symptom of being a teenager, but it makes me incredibly guilty. I don't even outright lie about anything big, but I just build up these fabricated relationships over time with people I don't even care about just for their attention. I even talk about them actively behind their backs, something I try very hard not to do with my, quote, real friends. I think part of me wants to get caught. I don't see this as a moral thing with you. I see this as just a really primitive tool that you're using to try to cope with the feelings of being alone and not enough and not supported. And um, I really encourage you 
to get into some type of therapy or support group and to begin to learn tools that don't have negative side effects uh, like the ones that you're using. But they they don't mean that you're a bad person. Um, it's it's really about tools, man. It is all about fucking tools. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I want to someday try bondage. I want to be in charge, but I also want to try being the one tied up and give up my control of the situation willingly for once. I want to let someone else take control someday if I'm ready to do that in any situation, sexual or otherwise. Admitting that is somewhat liberating, actually. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I honestly don't know. I tend to either keep all my thoughts to myself or tell the other person in a conversation way too much. Oh my God, you just described me. Uh, for me, there is no in-between. So I guess I'd like to thank my best friend for listening to me on the few occasions when I really did tell them what was on my mind since I probably told them more than they ever wanted to know. Uh, it. I hope you're listening to this because I want to recommend an article that you should read by a guy named Dr. Alan Rappaport, and it's entitled Co-Narcissism. We also did a mini episode on uh, this podcast uh, where I just merely read the article. It's only about five pages long, but it will ring so many bells in your head. Anybody that's listening to uh, her survey, uh, if bells are ringing for you, go read either listen to that mini episode with Dr. Alan Rappaport or um, uh, Google Google him and you can read the PDF uh, file of it but it explains so much what if anything you wish for I wish for a stable future I hope to someday have a stable job possibly as a librarian with my college degree under my belt I wish for a small but nice home and an escape from depression and from my family I also wish that in that possible future, I won't feel alone. It is possible for you. It's just really about boundaries, doing the work, learning how to take care of yourself, and to cut manipulative, toxic people out of your life. Uh, or keep them at a distance. Uh, have you shared these things with others? Uh, no, at least not the stuff about my dad. Besides that, which directly revolves around his death, I've been going to therapy. Oh, that's good. But there are some topics that I just can't seem to breach. You know, I've suggested this before to people, but what about um, playing the audio of me reading this, playing that for your therapist so that you don't have to say anything and you can you can get it all out? Just a thought. Actually, that's just me. I, I just want one more listener. Uh, um, I, I have another book uh, to recommend for you. Um, people who have cr- uh, a, a creepy parent, um, there is an amazing book that changed my life uh, called Silently Seduced, and it's by a guy named uh, Ken Adams, I think, is uh, who wrote that. And it's not a very thick book, but it explains like what your dad, the things that your dad did, textbook covert incest. Uh, Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or feelings? Um, Get help. Things can change for the better, but only if you admit that you are messed up and that it isn't necessarily your fault that you ended up that way. Thank you for sharing all of that stuff. Um, 
It's all about learning how to cope, man. I think so many of us make the mistake of wanting to label things as good or bad, um, but it really, so much of coping is just coming down to what am I feeling and how can I deal with this in a way that is healthy for me and potentially anybody it would affect. Um, this is an awfulsome moment filled out by a guy who calls himself, once again, still not a lemon. And he writes, when I was 14 years old, my uncle committed suicide. After his funeral, the first thing I said was, wow, I think that was the longest I've ever gone without checking my email. I love, by the way, when people um, submit an awfulsome moment where they're the one uh, that that did something um, kind of fucked up, uh, but also makes you smile in hindsight. This is a shame and secrets survey filled out by um, a woman who calls herself borderline frightened. She's straight in her 20s, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, um, never been sexually abused, but she has been uh, uh, emotionally abused. Uh, now, now here, this is a perfect uh, example of how... Uh, people who experience abuse as children, be it mental, uh, physical, sexual, how we will minimize it. Uh, she says uh, she checked the box and never been physically abused. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read what uh, she wrote. My father's a narcissistic person, and the worst he ever was was when I was in middle school. This, of course, affected how I deal with people today. I'm very uncomfortable around men who seem to be getting upset. Uh, I checked never been physically abused because my injuries were infrequent. One time when I was around eight, I got my head bashed into the stairs. I didn't tell anyone because he told me that they'd take me and my siblings away if I told. I probably needed stitches. I didn't tell my mother until the divorce proceedings. Well, you got to give your father credit. Uh, he managed in one fell swoop to uh, physically and emotionally uh, abuse you. That, that, you know, the guilting the child into not saying anything because they'll be taken away after you abuse them is, is just, that's like a whole other level of fucked up. Uh, any positive experience with the abusers? I have fond memories of my dad, but they've been clouded by all the bullshit he pulled towards the end of our relationship. Uh, darkest thoughts. Sometimes I feel an urge to hurt people for relatively mild annoyances. I'm also deeply afraid of turning out insane and alone like my father did. Darkest secrets. I've had sex with a lot of people, like I lost track of how many exactly, probably way more uh, than someone in their early 20s. Uh, sexual fantasies, most powerful to you. I just, for once, want someone to stick around after I sleep with them. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I tell my mother how proud I am of her because I don't think she hears it enough. And I would imagine you probably don't hear it enough either. What, if anything, do you wish for? I want to be happy and stable. I want to graduate college and be functional. Have you shared these things with others? I have. I don't think they took it too seriously, though. How do you feel after writing these things down? Relieved. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Hang in there. 
Your happiness is the greatest slap in the face to those who talked badly about you. Thank you for that. I appreciate you, all of you guys the raw honesty uh, that you pour into these surveys. I learn so much from it, and it, and it helps remind me that I'm alone as well. Uh, this is also a um, shame and secret survey. This was filled out by a woman who calls herself uh, genuinely judgmental. Uh, she's bisexual in her 20s, raised in a slightly uh, dysfunctional environment. Uh, she qualifies, uh, I don't know if my view is warped or not because I was a needy brat. Uh, I'm going to take a wild guess that um, your needs were valid and that uh, a caregiver probably shamed you for having needs that uh, didn't fit into their schedule. Uh, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. I don't have any memories, but in the past I've been afraid that at night uh, someone comes into my room and drugs and rapes me in my sleep. I've been afraid it's my father. I'm quite sure it isn't him, but my therapist believes there is some sort some sort of trauma that has not come up yet in my five years of seeing her. I feel petty and weak. You are not petty and weak. Uh, have you ever been uh, physically or emotionally abused? Uh, not sure. My recollection of childhood includes very little of my parents. My mom worked from home and would constantly shush me away. She still does it, and it makes me feel like I'm a nuisance, but then I realize I'm overreacting. As a kid, it felt worse, like I was too much. You're not overreacting, even as an adult. If your mom didn't want to, uh, to um, love you and pay attention to you, uh, she shouldn't have had children. Uh, any positive experiences? Uh, I don't know who my abusers are, but if any who my abusers are, uh, but it does complicate uh, things. Uh, darkest thoughts. When I was younger, I remember being hyper-aware of the knives in our kitchen and how easily it would be, how easy it would be to kill my family. It's horrifying to truly think about it, but it always would cross my mind. I think it's mainly because I have a fixation on death. Uh, darkest secrets. I enjoy being catcalled. At least it means someone is paying attention to me, and I consider myself a feminist. How weak am I? You're not weak. You are starving for validation and for the authentic you to be seen, which every human being deserves. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I want to be spanked and treated like a slave girl. The BDSM community intrigues me. Uh, I feel okay sharing that, but also scared. Uh, what, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? To my parents, I want to blame them for everything, but I think it's a cop-out. I should be able to deal with my own problems. Well, I think it's important to separate giving weight to what happened to you from um, the uh, feeling like you are punishing somebody. Um, for me... Confronting somebody about something they did to abuse me is not necessarily to punish them. It's for me to speak my truth and regain my power and my dignity and my self-esteem. And it's hard, super fucking hard. But now that you know what happened to you is abuse, you have a responsibility to yourself to get help and to heal. Um, 
and to those around you, you know, especially if you have a partner. We owe it to that person to be the best be that we can, the best be, the best us, we, the best you, you can be. Oh, my, my head. Um, what, if anything, do you wish for? I wish to be anorexic again. I miss the feeling of it. I haven't been eating as much. The binge periods suck, so it's time to starve, just in time for the holidays. I also wish for money, but who doesn't? Have you shared these things with others? Uh, no. I almost died from anorexia. I don't want to scare anyone. This is, this is what happens when we're shamed for having needs as a kid. Is we equate asking for help with fear. And who wouldn't? But there are safe people out there who will help you. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? I feel like I'm in competition with anyone with an eating disorder to see who's stronger, and by stronger, I mean weaker. The stronger thing to do is to be kind to your body, but I'm not worthy. You are worthy. But the question is, are you willing to get honest with somebody that can help you? That's, that's like the linchpin of any healing or getting better or becoming the person that we want to be. There has to be willingness. And for some of us, we have to get to a place that's so dark and so sad that we give up and say, okay, I'll listen to what somebody else has to say. I'll go to the place for help that I don't think is going to be able to help me. But these assholes tell me it will. Uh, this is a shame and secret survey filled out by uh, an agender person, uh, and they refer to themselves as Peach. Uh, they are in high school, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Um, let's see if they identified. Uh, they identify as a bisexual. Um, uh, have you? Uh, Slightly, they were raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Uh, have you ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Uh, yes, and I, ne I never reported it. Um, I'm the person with the weird nudist dad. Uh, Paul has read my survey before, but to recap, my dad is a nudist and has been ever since I can remember. It has always made me uncomfortable, but mostly because of the sexual things he did, always using the, quote, nudist thing as a cover-up and to make it excusable. I recently confided in my girlfriend who gave me so much validation, validation I really, really needed after pushing it down for so long. I always question myself and think I'm exaggerating or being too dramatic, but her words really solidified the fact that what I live with is not okay, and I am not being dramatic or a baby, and everything other and every other dumb thing my brain likes to try to convince me. What was the hardest for me was telling her the gross, weirdly traumatizing details. Like the fact his genitals are pierced and I can hear him as he walks within our home. <sighs> that just seems so silly and dumb to me. That is not silly and dumb. That is so... Uh, 
you know, it's so abusive. It's so abusive. And this, this is not me vilifying nudity. It's what is behind the nudity. You know, a, a parent that doesn't pay attention to how the child is reacting to the nudity. That's abusive. You know, if, if you were a, a family of nudists and it, it wasn't being used as a, a power or control thing, um, uh, yeah, there's no problem with it. It's healthy. We shouldn't be ashamed uh, of our bodies, but it's that child's decision to make whether they want to be naked or be around other naked people in their own fucking home. Um, but she understood that it is something I've connected to his presence, the discomfort I always feel when I'm around her. Uh, since telling her, I've been doing a great deal of processing everything that has happened to me, which has been hard. New memories come up, like how he wanted me to model new underwear I got when I was as little as 10, and how he would encourage me to go to the bathroom or shower with the door open because we were, quote, just family, and how he'd tell me about his sex life with previous partners, especially my mother. He told me a lot about his preferences. And if he thought that the lady that just checked us out in the store was hot or not, it was just really odd to me. It was really bad back then, but it has gotten better. He still walks naked around our home, occasionally playing or touching himself in the wide open, which is still terrible as ever. I don't know if it has gotten better because I stay in my room more and I go out as much as possible, or if he is changing and seeing that he is affecting me. That's how low an abusive parent can pummel somebody's standards to that they would say, it has gotten better. Now he just walks naked around our home, occasionally playing or touching himself in the wide open. I think another factor that has also maybe changed that me coming out as trans. That happened about two years ago now. Since then, I have started testosterone, giving me a more masculine appearance and such. When I first told him about testosterone and its effects, I remember him making me very uncomfortable, being curious to see how my chest and genitals would change and that he wanted to see. You don't even have to like read further down this to know that your dad is only going to be concerned with, is this going to uh, interfere with me objectifying my child and getting my yayas? Um, but I think the masculine changes have made him possibly lose interest, question mark. Uh, I'm not a little, weak, vulnerable girl anymore. I've gained confidence and strength, and I think that makes him less inclined to try to take advantage of me. Like I mentioned before, I did try and tell my mom, but she didn't do anything, claiming, that's just your dad, and quote, he accepts you for, for how you are, uh, referring to my gender, so accept him how he is. That's like saying to somebody, listen, I don't like the fact that you're eating pizza and I know I murdered somebody, but please don't eat pizza in front of me. 
I don't know if that makes any sense. That might be the worst analogy in the history of analogies. But that is so fucked up to compare somebody claiming their authenticity that doesn't bother anybody with being a predator to your own child. Oh, I'm getting so fucking angry. Um, And that has hit me the hardest. It makes me incredibly scared to ever confront him because I know he would say this to make me feel bad. Ever since that, and since telling my girlfriend, I've had a lot of resentment towards both of them, and they have noticed. I've been going out more and staying with my girlfriend as much as possible. That is fucking awesome. I, I think any person would would tell you that the two options are report both of your parents to the authorities or minimize your contact uh, with them, which it sounds like you're you're doing. Uh, and it's so good that you have an understanding uh, girlfriend. Um, and they write, uh, but you can only do this so much as a person in high school. Yes, I've been to therapy, but there is no way I could ever talk about my situation to a therapist as a minor. CPS would be called, and I just dot, 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 feel bad for my parents if I did that. Wouldn't it be nice if your parents um, had the same amount of empathy f- towards you? And I don't mean to demonize you know, these parents whose stories I've been talking about on here. It's really to help the person who is being abused give weight to what has happened to them, to show the disparity. We get so brainwashed when we've been parentified by a parent, i.e. we've been brainwashed to put their needs ahead of ours. That's why I I highlight this. You know, I I, I don't like the word evil. I, I think sick is a is a better word and all of the abuse i've read in these surveys i like to think of people like your parents as sick or ignorant um and it i don't know if i'm making any sense uh continuing uh oh they write when i'm Older, I plan on talking about it, but as of now, I'm kind of stuck. I'm not sure what to do. Um, I would love it if you... Uh, oh yeah, let me make it about me. I'm such an asshole. It would be great if you opened up to your uh, therapist, uh, especially if there are other siblings uh, in the home, because this stuff does damage. It does damage. Any positive experiences with the abusers? Both of my parents have helped me through my transition, which is a lot of work emotionally and financially. Being on hormones at my age is an amazing accomplishment, which would never have happened without my parents. I'm not dysphoric anymore, and I'm more confident than ever regarding my parents. Of course, this would complicate things. I could lose their support with their dumb, quote, we support you, so support your father argument. Oh my God, I would love to see your therapist's face. If you said, if you revealed them comparing your claiming your authenticity with your dad, sexually abusing. Darkest thoughts. I think I'm processing too much right now to have any. Um, (laughs) What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to and why? Uh, You should Google boundaries sometime. (laughs) 
What, if anything, to wish for? To get out of my home, move out on my own, and live with someone I love and feel safe with. Um, how do you feel after writing these things down? It feels nice to let them out of my head for a second. Every time I talk about it, it gives me more to process, so I think this will help me. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? What you are experiencing is making you grow so much more than you think. You'll forever have insights and perspectives of the world that not a lot of others have. Beautifully put. Beautifully put. What a beautiful, strong soul you are growing into. Um, any comments to make the podcast better? You're great, Paul. I'm honestly... I honestly get scared for when you die. Will the person replacing you understand the true, undeniable beauty of Herbert's butthole? It'll be devastating, honestly. This was, I'm way behind on the shame and secret surveys. This this was filled out before Herbert uh, died in, in May. So that wasn't, uh, they weren't being insensitive. This was this was filled out in March of uh, 2017. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm about what, eight months behind? I just the surveys get so heavy sometimes. I uh, I can only read like maybe 10 a week. Um, this is uh, another shame and secret survey. And this is filled out by a guy who calls himself Black Pepper. And he is straight. He's in his uh, 30s. He was raised in a totally chaotic environment. And by the way, just to show you how common these issues are, th these surveys that I'm reading to you were filled out within, uh, all filled out within the same week of each other. Um, so it wasn't like I went through here and said, oh, I'm just going to pick a bunch of surveys that, that have all of this stuff in common. This is just me, you know, reading my next 10 surveys uh, for the for the week. Uh, so anyway, um, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Uh, some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. My father, who's schizophrenic, would often walk from the bedroom to the living room in his underwear, fully erect, and when confronted about it, this is my house, I'll do what I want. It was always uncomfortable, and I eventually stopped going to the li living room most mornings. For many years, I'd stay in my bedroom to avoid it, and over time, I'd stay in my bedroom completely because it was the only place I felt safe. It is amazing the similarities between the surveys that all got filled out this week in March. Um, <laughs> I just had the most fucked up thought that <laughs> what if, what if, uh, Airbnb started having really, really low budget places uh, that you could stay, and it would be uh, in the rooms of teenagers who live, uh, who aren't ever in the house because they have a creepy parent. <laughs> you have to share the house with the creepy parent. And you walk out, and you're like, oh, this is why it's $5 a month to stay here. I'm going back in the room. Uh, he has been physically and emotionally abused. My father, mother, and gradually my siblings showed a lack of acknowledgement of feelings, emotions, and feeling loved. There was constant chaos due to my father's schizophrenia, and even after his treatment began to work, nothing changed as far as verbal and emotional abuse. 
quote, stop being a pussy, go cry a river, oh, get over yourself, get over it, whatever, oh, you have it so hard, uh, were said. Ridiculed for showing emotions or having feelings. This one I'll never get over was, go play in traffic. We lived near a major highway with constant traffic. I don't think my father would have thought the same if I had followed through with it. Uh, I thought about stepping in front of Uh, the semis that went by daily at 60 miles per hour. Suicidal thoughts have haunted me for almost 20 years. He has never hugged me, said he loved me, and shown any sort of feelings that way. Oh, you know I love you. Get over it. Uh, Honestly, not feeling as if I was wanted around hurt the most. I battle with loneliness daily, even though I have a strong support system, healthy, positive friends, and some family that do love me. I do bi-weekly therapy and counseling and on medication for depression, which has been my only source of sanity. Physical abuse was from my my other brothers. Quote, boys will be boys was not the case. I was smaller and not as quick. There were times felony charges should have been issued. Joke was on them. As I approached junior high, I grew three feet and issued much revenge. My older brothers... One has severe PTSD from the war and has been suffering far too long. I don't know how to help him anymore. The other is an undiagnosed schizophrenic who has lived at home for the last 15 years, stays in his room, and has next to no contact with the outside world. Both sides of my parents' family hasn't seen or heard from him in almost 20 years. My youngest sister didn't have a chance when she came into the family. Uh, was around the time my father's schizophrenia peaked. She has many issues as well. However, she doesn't say much to me. I tried. It just became a waste of energy. She hasn't held a job in over three years, uh, allowed to do whatever she wants uh, on the family's dime. It's really sad. My family has so many dark secrets, and most of them will never be addressed or mentioned by them. It's like a constant circus. When I confronted my parents in an email about the ongoing craziness going on at home a few years ago, that the family was in full-blown crisis mode and in need of family counseling, I was told, that's your problem. Again, dismissive of my thoughts and feelings. They forwarded that email to my brother, which I never took in account, uh, uh, took the time to write a 13-page PDF file calling me a cunt and a princess every other sentence in a series of clearly schizophrenic thoughts and behavior um you know what i don't i i don't want to um uh jumble together um schizophrenia and sexual abuse and somebody being an asshole or whatever for anybody that's listening. And, I, and I'm not trying to negate um, the the uh, listener's truth here. Um, I just want um, uh, people who, who uh, don't listen to stuff about mental health to walk away from hearing this and think, oh, so schizophrenic people uh, don't have empathy or um, they sexually abuse. Um, that, that's not, those aren't uh, interrelated. Um, 
Uh, yeah, my brother is saying that I was dead to him. He also felt the need to reveal that my sister is a lesbian, which she hasn't told anyone. Real fucking low blow. Seriously, who the fuck does that? Someone who needs medication does. My dad is the biggest homophobe. It'd be hysterical to see his reaction if he ever finds out. My brother is no loss to me since he hasn't said hello, goodbye, or seemed to notice I've existed for the last 15 or more years. Not one word he said was true about me. It does piss me off. That I tried, was again rejected, and I struggled with not wanting to kick his ass at times. However, it would be a waste of energy and nothing would be solved. From that day onward, nothing has been the same with my family. I did it out of a place of love. I'm the asshole drama queen now, and what relationship I had with my mother is minor. Um. Oh... <sighs> I'm told by others that they're your family. You have to love and respect them. Uh, Fuck that. I don't get the same in return. When I'm around my family, I shut down, say, and reveal next to nothing uh, after the email failure. Um, Thank you for sharing that stuff. Um, God, that is some fucked up stuff. Any positive experiences with the abusers? Uh, My father is the same insensitive asshole I grew up with. I have to dance around, uh, uh, etc., etc. When I say any off-color remarks towards him, I'm disrespectful. Uh, So basically, no. Um, Darkest thoughts. Uh, Slapping my mother for continuing to enable this madness and ignoring the obvious daily signs. I wish my brother with schizophrenia would die in a fire. I am not ashamed to admit these two since this is where and how my family has driven me away. I'm afraid the day my parents both leave this earth, my siblings will wind up more successful than me, dry up what little inheritance there is, and I'll wind up penniless and still alone. I'm afraid if and when I meet the right woman, she'll see how fucked up my family is. They'll drive her away and abandon me. I have so many abandonment issues. Being alone makes me tired. I'm afraid I'm not lovable enough, though others who do care for me show love. I'm afraid I'm making all the wrong choices in my career, my personal life, and where I live, even though I just got my dream job. I'm afraid I'm going to blow this dream job and will be on my third layoff in 10 years. I'm sick of losing jobs through no fault of my own. I'm afraid of failing even though out of my entire family I've succeeded the most and haven't given up. I'm afraid when my parents can't I'm afraid of when my parents can't take care of themselves. My siblings will leave them and put it all on me. Darkest secrets. Vandalism, arson, and property damage. Those people I affected never deserved that. It was misplaced anger and I was a confused young man. Karma came back around for me in many forms and I've learned to forgive myself. Uh, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I sexually fantasize about being jerked off by multiple women while being humiliated, tied up, slapped, spit on, told not to come, and they enjoy every second of it. Uh, writing that makes me feel like I have deeper issues to address since I still can't figure out why it's a fantasy or I'm just a dirty freak. It doesn't have to mean anything. It just is. And you're not a dirty freak. That's just what you're turned on by Um, everybody everybody uh, I believe has something that they wish they weren't turned on by 
what, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I'd like to tell my sister, who's a lesbian, uh, that doesn't know I know, that I hope she finds happiness and freedom. What do you wish for? Happiness, living independently, and love. Uh, have you shared these things with others? My sexual fantasies, I have not. Guess I never considered it since it doesn't interfere with my daily life. I've spoken with my therapist about my sister. It's best not to rock an already sinking boat and my wishes in life uh, were making strides. Uh, how do you feel after writing this down? I feel neutral emotionally at the moment. It's hard to stay angry anymore. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Seek help. There are options out there for you, regardless of how broke or broken you are. Many services in many areas go unused. Yeah, amen to that. Um, and if you um, uh, Google the low-fee therapy and then the name of your town or city, uh, you can often find places that are uh, very inexpensive or uh, even free. And especially if you are a uh, sexual trauma survivor, um, you can try going to rainn.org. That's rain.org, and you may qualify for free counseling. And it doesn't matter how long ago uh, the abuse took place. Um, and I believe in some areas you can also call 411 and find out what um, services are available in, uh, in your area. This is a happy moment, thank God, uh, filled out by Samir Mons Mons Mansour. And he writes, uh, all my life I've hated myself. I felt uncomfortable in my skin. Continual messages that I wasn't wanted, starting with being told uh, my dad wanted my mom to have an abortion because I wasn't going to be a girl. Life sucked. I couldn't wait to die. After a year and a half of therapy, three and a half months, in two 12-step programs, I took a break at work, sat on the curb, feeling the warmth of the sun, a light breeze lapped in my face. I breathed in deeply, exhaled, and smiled. In this moment, all is right in the world. I love my life. I love myself. I never thought I'd feel this way because I am me. Previous joy was contingent on a codependent relationship a raise at work, an attaboy, some sort of external force. This joy was self-created. In that moment, I began to cry. Life was beautiful. I was worthy. I was wanted by me. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. Thank you for that. Oh, and then uh, finally... We have uh, an awfulsome moment filled out by uh, a woman who calls herself M. And um, it's just, it's so synchronous, is that the word? That I came across this survey with all these surveys, you know, with this, because I pick the guest first and then I just see what surveys, you know, where I'm at on the surveys. And, um, and all of these just happen to be the ones that coincide with this week. And this is uh, M's survey. She writes, The first thing I did when I moved out of my college dormitory and into an apartment was rescue two kittens. And I loved them more than I thought I could love another creature. I never thought 
I would be squatting on the kitchen floor at 2 a.m., picking live, still-squirming roundworms out of cat vomit. But it's true what they say, motherhood changes a person. They both irritate my cornucopia of mental illnesses and disabilities and soothe them. When I am at my worst, angry and hurt, and just a step away from killing myself, no matter the lengths I go through to convince myself that the world would be better off without me and that my friends and family are burdened by me, I cannot convince myself that my cats would be better off without me. Nobody else would buy the expensive walnut shell cat litter because my tabby is slightly chronically wheezy and walnut shell litter has an incredibly low dust output. I'm the one my fat white cat waits for on the windowsill. Nobody else would pick through their vomit for worms. When I want nothing more than to kill myself, it infuriates me that I have two little goblins depending on me for their well-being, but I know that every sunset I see and every delightful moment I experience is because those little goblins are in my life and keeping me from snuffing it out. I'm so grateful. So grateful for oh, all the survey takers, my guests, uh, the monthly donors, um, the advertisers, the, everything that, that helps um, me get to do this job that I love so much. And um, if you're out there and you're feeling um, stuck or alone, um, take that scary first step and talk to somebody that feels safe to you and let them know what's going on. Um, there's so much more, so much more is possible than we think is possible when we're in that depressed, scared, or anxious place. Um, and I'm glad I reached out for help because I get to do this fun job and meet awesome people like you and, uh, read you bearing your beautiful souls through, through these surveys. Um, so don't forget you're not alone and thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.